The rustle of leaves through the wind. The hoot of an owl. Crickets. The crackle of a well-built campfire. The sounds of nature surround us all. If we can just find it through the noise of everyday life. If you follow the Scout Trail, it'll lead you to nature, to real-life skills, leadership, and much more for the youth of our great nation. Welcome to Scout On Chattanooga, a podcast designed to encourage and embrace youth leadership right here in our area. Now, from the scenic city, here's Sean Whitfield, Jared Pickens, and Cubmaster Kyle. Hello and welcome to another edition of Scout on Chattanooga. I am Sean Whitfield. Joining me is the CEO of Boy Scouts of America, Cherokee Area Council, Jared Pickens, and Cubmaster Kyle. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on it's you. It's a showdown. Howdy. We can do it together. Yeah. You ready? One, two, three. Howdy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> it wasn't good. It was not good. Oh, that's funny. Oh, well, Kyle, I, I, Kyle enjoyed that almost as much as Sean did. Man, how are you guys been? It's been two months since I've uh, been in the studio with I know. you guys. You man, copped out on to, us. We've been to camping back already. Yeah, yeah. so y'all still look the same. So I guess <laughs> I guess you didn't get any sun while you were at camp. You both are still white. I'm always yeah. just a bit sun-kissed. Yeah, you know, I have that gentle tan. See, I thought that maybe a sign when you had been to camp is when you came back and you had a little bit of a tan because you were out in the outdoors. Well, we were in the Scoutmaster Pavilion. Yeah, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of sun. Protect your skin, Sean. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So, how was? Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to the last episode of Scout on Chattanooga, but I am going to listen to it. So, <laughs> uh oh, uh, for those like me that hasn't hasn't had the opportunity to listen to it, how how was it? You have a good time? Yeah, it was a blast. We. Um got to interview several people a couple scoutmasters we got to talk to one from texas and then one from right here in our council so it was uh it was a lot of fun brent baker our uh, district executive and staff advisor for skymont summer camp was our guest host so he took your place for the uh for the episode and i'm not being replaced yet not yet no <laughs> but he's working on it <laughs> no there is no there is no replacement i and I, I had lunch with sean before we recorded this uh kyle and uh i, I told sean i said he goes well y'all probably didn't miss me you know up at camp and i said man we did miss you and he was like really? he said like a toothache and i yeah. said and i said yeah i said it's you always ask good questions and i said people talk about you sean mm-hmm. like people walk up they're like oh man can you believe what sean said on the last <laughs> podcast or, i can't believe man sean was man he was really interested in that you know like and uh, that know, guy's Kyle, clueless it was good though you know so yeah. we like having you i thought it was good you had mm-hmm. a lot and we missed that when you weren't with us well i uh miss being with you guys i don't know if i missed uh being eat up with mosquitoes or uh <laughs> get eat up with mosquitoes. And, and i guess it was probably pretty hot there wasn't it no actually it was a perfect it was day well, it, was it was beautiful that much day. cooler this year than it was last year when we taped the uh podcast up there did y'all so, have did y'all have us uh enjoy a slush puppy while y'all were there i did not i didn't no i was saving space for the steak master dinner yeah, I, 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 that was one thing that I enjoyed last time. The Scoutmaster summer. Steak Dinner. Yeah, it's not the, the Steakmaster steak Dinner. The Steakmaster's not an official scouting position, Kyle. Well, I've made it such. That, 
one thing that I enjoyed about someone's our, gonna ask for the steak master patch now. <laughs> my visit up there was that uh, y'all you guys serve slush puppies at the store. Yeah. So I remember doing the podcast and enjoying a slush puppy. Slush puppy there. from the canteen. Yeah. Yeah. So that was nice. You missed the fiftieth anniversary too. It was quite oh, exciting. Fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So next year will just be Sean's version of fiftieth. Yeah. Anniversary. Well, it, it's, well it, Sean it, passed fifty many years ago. So <laughs> yeah, I'm about to celebrate fifty five. <laughs> actually, actually next month. <laughs> what? There's, Kyle, that, there's Kyle, that laugh. Why? Why? Why are you laughing so sinister? Oh. Because it was funny. And the thing about it is when he was laughing, he was about five feet from the mic, and it sounded like he was right up on it. It's true. It's true. It's like a laugh reel. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, we did miss you at Skymont, but it was was all right. It was good. I want you to know that they they still cooked a steak in your honor, and And somebody had to eat it, so I did. You did? You ate it? I did. Mm -hmm. It was delicious. You know, I'm glad somebody could enjoy it. So, how many guests were on the last episode? Five? Five, six, yeah. Six. Oh, wow. No, six, yeah. Five or Gosh. six. It's quite a lot. It's a great episode. So, if, if yeah. you listen to this and you haven't listened to it, uh, we talked to uh, Phil Ledbetter about some of the history of Skymont Scout Reservation. Mm-hmm. He was there back when they opened and before they opened. That's right. He was, was actually part of the crew that planted a lot of the trees up there in main camp. So talked to uh, Camp Director Reese Sheffer, Program Director Dan Cassegrand, and Kyle already mentioned... Uh, the illustrious Brent Baker, and then, of course, myself and Kyle. And, and Ranger David was Rain- on Oh, how can we forget Ranger yep. David? Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, also um, two Scoutmaster guests who I don't remember their name, but they did a great job. Yeah, it was fun. Jonathan Raines was one of them from Troop 99 here in uh, the Cherokee Area Council. Hmm. The other guy was from a little town outside of Austin, Texas, I believe it was. Yep, they were yeah. enjoying the temperature for sure. Well, now folks uh, know exactly what they need to go back and listen to. So, uh, previous so we, episode, you can catch all those great guests. So, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm interested in. What's up, Sean? Well, I was <laughs> about. What's up? I was about what's to get up? to that. And yeah, but I, you're. But we we have like two months of what's up for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my life's boring. It's just the same old, same old. Just yeah, trips handling to, trips to Cabo, handling business, Cosmo. getting a vacation in here and there, <laughs> taking care of two houses. Did you remember uh, to take the luggage with you? Uh, well, <laughs> the last trip we uh, did to Atlanta, which was about a month ago, I made it a priority to load Kim's suitcase first. Good okay. idea. So yeah, good idea. Yeah, I haven't made that mistake yet. We're getting ready to uh, go to Mexico here in just about three weeks. Ooh. So, um, yeah, it's already been on my mind of a checklist of stuff I got to make sure that I do. And uh, her luggage is at the top. One of the things at the top <laughs> of the a list. Top priority. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I learned a valuable lesson that day. So, uh, so you, what else, you learn what else? from your mistakes. What else is what's up? We're, see, we're pulling well, you back. Let's, let's, we didn't mean to pull you back. Let's, let's dive into our what's up. And this is where we go around the room. We share one thing going on in our world. And it gives you, our listeners, the opportunity to get to know us better. <laughs> I like how Sean very clearly said it's one thing. Yeah. So here I am. I was like, well, it's two months. Well, I was like, just, this is the time. The, <laughs> no, time one thing. One thing. the one only thing. reason it's one thing today is because we've got a great guest or another great guest that's going to be joining us shortly. And we can't turn this into a two-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we could easily okay. do that. We could. We have a yeah. good time. 
Okay, so, Sean, I stand corrected. So you want me to start with our what's up to, today? Yeah. Sure. All right. Uh, I'm, I, I shared this on one of my other radio shows. And uh, first of all, do you guys have a favorite burger joint you like to go to? What, what's your best and favorite burger? Okay, okay. Are we talking about like... Hamburger. Like a fast food burger? Bur- like just go get one? Just, or are we talking like fancy who, who, or what? When you, want a, when you want a great burger, where do you go? Where, where's, a, where's your number one go-to in Chattanooga? You know, mine's Armando's. I was going to say Slick's. Slicks. I've never heard of that. Down on Main Street. Yeah. Huh. You've been there, Kyle. Mm-hmm. I was. They got the good last buns. time I went to it, it was still in St. Elmo. They moved it. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good burgers around this town, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't eat hamburgers. I eat hamburger steak often, but I don't eat cheeseburger and fries, that kind of thing, very often. But when I do, you know, I like to go and McDonald's. get one of the best. Yeah, McDonald's. So this was ah. a. No. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's, Kyle, Kyle, McDonald's wasn't on my list. Kyle, how funny would that be? So, though? if Sean was like all this build up, it's like uh, Whopper Junior from Big Mac. Yeah. From, uh, <laughs> so when I think of a go-to place for burgers, I think Armando's. I think of Tremont Tavern. Have you guys ever been there? I tried once, and it was a wait, so I had to leave. Tremont Tavern's got an outstanding burger. That's what I've heard. Well, a couple of Saturdays ago, Kim and I are leaving the gym on 153 in Hickson, and we were headed to the other house we have in Hickson, and we didn't have a lot of spare time to get something to eat, but we hadn't eaten all day. So I pass a Five Guys, and I thought, okay. mm-hmm. I thought, you know, let's run in Five Guys real quick. Sure. I, I haven't been to a Five Guys in a long time. The last time I did, it was in the Atlanta airport. I remember it being expensive, but heck, you're in the Atlanta airport, so you just automatically assume, right. okay, that's airport rates. Mm-hmm. Well, I go into Five Guys, I walk up to the counter, I look up at the menu, and I am sticker shocked. <laughs> A small hamburger is almost 11 bucks. Wow. A regular hamburger is 12 something. Uh-huh. A cheeseburger, I think, was over 13. Oh, my. To the point, I'm standing there in such disbelief. I almost <laughs> said, "Hey, let's let's go somewhere else." You almost walked out of the five but I, guys, but I didn't. Okay, so Kim was thinking the same thing. She's just thinking, "Have you noticed these prices?" Yeah, I'm standing here in disbelief. So Kim ordered a child's cheeseburger or hamburger. I ordered the regular size cheeseburger. We ordered a small fries and mm-hmm. shared them, mm-hmm. and two small drinks. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. $34.14. And they're like fast food. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not 30, like fast over casual. $34. And, and we yeah. shared the fries and had two small drinks. They're pretty delicious good? from it, there, though. Was it good? Well, they are, but it's not worth $34. I mean, you can go to Jay well, Alexander's. The, you got the appetizer hamburger. Yeah, but Childs, you got to get that's like that, the appetizer. That's hamburger. even that should even be cheaper. <laughs> I mean, you can go to and I've done this since then. You can go to Jay Alexander's and have a delicious cheeseburger and fries cheaper than you can go to Five Guys for. So, wow. so if I would have just walked in the door, ordered my regular cheeseburger, fries by myself, and a regular drink for one person's over twenty bucks. So, What's this word I was to? I was just in shock. So I won't be going to Five Guys again. <laughs> wow! But I was That's just curious. 
if you guys had been to Five Guys lately, I've and, not been, Mm-mm. and you know what your favorite burger joint is, because I'm always sort of curious. Okay, well, who's well, got the best burger? Well, in town? I, I am opinionated about this burger question. Okay, uh, and Kyle, I, I'm sure is as, to, as well. But I, you know, are you I'm, saying I'm fat? No, I'm just saying that you're a connoisseur <laughs> of fine burgers. That you're just, she, he's just saying you're fluffy. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I didn't say a thing. But, you know, we've, well, we've, well, but think about it. We've moved around, me and Ashley, right, mm-hmm. over the course of our years. We've been in, in, I don't know, like six different towns. And the hamburger is a distinctly American, you know, thing. And so it's mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for us to say, hey, what do you want to do? Let's go try to find a good hamburger, right? You mm-hmm. know, and uh, I've had a lot of hamburgers. And I'll tell you my favorite fast food hamburger that won't cost you $12. And that is the Whataburger from Whataburger. Have you ever had we a Whataburger? We don't have a Whataburger here. I know. But yeah, Texas, bring, bring it in closer to home. That, well, they put one in in Nashville. Well, that's still so not it's close coming to this home. Way. But let me tell you, Whataburger, because here's the deal, Kyle. The Whataburger you can get with all these kinds of fixings on it, you know? Oh, I've had it before. And you can delicious. get. I've never had it. You can get grilled jalapenos. Mmm. So they put them on the flat top and they actually grill them. It's not like, you know, they get it out of some like, oh, it's yeah. preheated. You know, we just sprinkle it on. It's real grilled jalapenos. And it's very good. The best mm. hamburgers in this town are actually the ones I cook, though. <laughs> well, I can't get those. Hmm. I make a Southwest Ranch burger that is fantastic. Is it like, is it like, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. With hold plenty on. of dressing no, on I was, it. I just envisioned when you said Southwest Ranch, I envisioned like, you know, the like on Food Channel, they show you those where the people put the cheese in the burger. And they cut it open and all the cheese runs out. I vision it like that he's done that, but with ranch sauce. So you cut yeah, open the ranch burger. dressing or something. It's, no. just, it's just like a gusher. There. What I do is I take Ritz crackers and I mix them with the spicy ranch powder, you know, mm. the powder packets. Mm-hmm. And I put the meat and mush it all together and make like a smash burger with the Ritz crackers and the meat all smushed in there together with the deliciousness there together so wow. that sounds good mm-hmm. you guys need to go check out one at tremont tavern yeah that's, i need to that's go a back. great and and they've got a big variety on their menu we need to do a campery that has a burger cook-off and we could be the judges of it oh that's a great <laughs> idea <laughs> yeah. but how many which troops got the best burger yeah right we, and that that would be easy to you know do at a campfire type deal yeah we should do like a live podcast from there, and we yeah. could be the judges. Judges can, of the Sean can give the play by play, and then we could interview the winners. Kyle's on coming the in podcast. hot; it's almost to his mouth, and yeah. now he's taking a bite. And oh wow, it <laughs> we could make it. We could make it the great Scout Slider cook off, and make it sliders. You know, little baby cheeseburgers. You know, here's the problem with sliders: they overcook easy. They do. Yeah. See, that's the problem. And then you get it well done. I mean, who wants? Sean, do you like your hamburgers well done? No. no. No, but I can tolerate a crystal. But you're like a... You know, a crystal usually gets well, pretty well diff- done. Well, but that's different. Do you like crystals? I love crystal. Yeah. I love crystal. How many crystals can you eat, Kyle? Um, <laughs> Twelve, easily. Really? Yeah. With fries? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I remember... I and those would, little donuts they make there now, too. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> what? Stop I can remember it. if I... I remember five was the most I could ever hold on, hold They on. have little Sean, donut Sean, holes hold there yeah. now. What? Yes, they have little donut holes at Crystal now, and they're delicious. At Crystal's? Yeah. You <laughs> gotta donuts? get them. You gotta get them, yeah. Donut holes. It's like the little... Like a munchkin, but 
crystals. How, how often do you eat 12 crystals? Not often. No, I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Normally <laughs> when I'm hungry. <laughs> when I go down that route, I've either just, I'm like, I'm feeling sorry for myself and I just <laughs> bathe <laughs> myself in crystals. <laughs> oh, no, don't. Just, <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. Hey, but you but, could be in that crystal eat-off deal they used to do. Oh, maybe they still do it. Hey, crystals are delicious. You know what else is delicious but at crystal is those what are those things called where you get the it's like the little cup and it's at breakfast and it's got like oh the, the scrambler the thing. scramblers yeah. and they put the grits in there and they yep. put the hash brown and they put the those are good i don't like those as well as i do the sunriser those are also good yeah yeah. It's all good. Y'all are making me want crystals now. I just got done eating that gummit. Can we talk about moon pies? And the thing too? about we'll it is, of we'll we'll course meal. You know, there, there's a crystal right here by the scout office. Yeah, I don't go there much. Oh, you don't? No, I try to walk in distance. I try to I try to watch myself with the crystal here. Yeah, Sean, you know, you get carried away. Oh goodness! All right, well, Jared, what's up with you? Oh man, see if you can I top my what's up. I I that was a terrific. I gotta give you credit. That was a yeah. pretty. I put a lot of thought into that one. What's up? That was that was really good. Um, did I tell y'all? I think I told Kyle. I don't know if I was Sean. I bought a family tent for the fall. Oh yeah, you did, did I tell you, you guys this? Me. Have we mm-hmm. talked about it on the pod? I don't think so. Yeah, so I bought a family tent. It's a North Face Wawona Six. Have you weatherproofed it yet? No, I haven't done anything to it. I haven't even got it out of the box. But I'm excited. I was going to say, it. do you know how to put it together? No, I mean, you know, I follow the instructions. <laughs> I have put tents together before. Because here's the problem, right? You know, we, we talk about uh, my personal scouting adventure, right, Kyle? We talk about mm-hmm. it all the time with my son, Theodore, who will be a tiger this fall. Uh, was a lion last year, and uh, we're going to go to uh, Cub and Family this mm-hmm. fall. That's right. Probably first weekend. And be I needed a tent because all my tents are like three-person tents, which are really a one-and-a-half to two-person tent. Um, because I didn't have a family before when I was doing a lot of camping. So, so you're uh, bringing the wife and the baby, too? That's the plan. Because there's fun for everyone. That's, we're Cub bringing, and partner. Well, it's called Cub and Family for yeah. a reason. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not Cub and Jared. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really boring. So anyway, uh, I got it. I'm really excited, Sean, because um, I especially chose this tent. I got a good deal on it, and it has almost as large of a vestibule as it does a tent which I think is important for children. So that's my that's my what's up. Hmm. What do you think, Kyle? No, I like it. You like that? What's, you, what's, good. what's up in your world? Make sure that you get a little mat to put there for them to take their shoes off before they step into the tent. That's a good hey, pro tip. I, I got to tell a real quick story. One of my good friends bought a tent from Sears. This mm-hmm. was going back about 15 years ago. Sears had this policy of satisfaction guaranteed Mm -hmm. for the and i don't i think it's for the life of the product he bought this tent it seemed like it was a couple hundred dollar tent at sears he used it for three years and camped with it after three years he carried it back to sears and said he was no longer satisfied with it and they refunded his money in full (laughs) and took the tent back you know, I'll never know why Sears went out of business. Yeah, so that just says shit. Never understand. <laughs> but when I think of tents, I think of that story. So what's up with you, uh, Kyle? So, um, well, we recently took yet another cruise. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and, well, but... <laughs> 
he does, he does one every other month. <laughs> um, Where'd you go this time? Well, this one went to Prince, or not Prince, uh, Half Moon Key, the carnival owned island in the Bahamas. Do you but have stock in carnival? I should. But this actually isn't about the cruise. This is about my 10 year old finding his love of Uno on the cruise. So, like, we always carry decks of cards with us, and we'll have some downtime where we just go sit somewhere I and just hang out and play the cards. No. <laughs> um, and he got, like, seriously addicted to Uno while we were on the cruise ship. So, I wound up getting on Amazon while we're on the boat, and me and him were looking through all the different Unos that they make. And now we have like five different versions of Uno, and he can whip my tail at every single one of them. Hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't know there was kills. I me thought there was only like Uno. one Uno. Well, no, there's like the original Uno. Then, um, and I would suggest this to anybody that wants to carry cards while they're in an outdoor or more humid setting. They make a Uno Splash, which is actually plastic cards, so they don't get, you know, they're easily cleanable or. Hmm. You know, like if you're going camping or something, the Uno Splash version actually works That's really well. That's the COVID well. edition, so you can yeah. sanitize them when so you're you done. So you can sanitize them. <laughs> um, there was Uno Stack, which is like Jenga, but with Uno. Then there's a Uno Flip, but we had to get the Stranger Things version because he loves Stranger Things. And it's where there's actually, you can play both sides of the card, but there's a card that you actually have to play to flip the cards over. Um, hmm. And he has whipped my tail at every single one of them. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I hadn't played Uno in years. Yeah, he has a blast with it. And, hey, it keeps him off of uh, off. electronic devices. So yeah. we play Uno at our house every night now. So, but hmm. do you have giant Uno? We do not have giant Uno. I happen to be in possession of the rare giant Uno set that Ashley wants to try to get out and play, and I'm like, but we have regular Uno. Yeah. And so, but it is, it's humorous to have I could a imagine giant Uno. having yeah. Weston try to hold those giant right. cards. Right. They're, they're big. I mean, they're like, you've seen them probably. They're like six inch by. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, the pack weighs. How like, do you shuffle those? I don't know. I've been wondering that. Hmm. So, when's your next cruise? Uh, we are not booked uh, any. It's just a matter of, of time. Well, we're going to Disney World this fall, so hmm. you know that's the cost of three cruises. So <laughs> you'll have a great time. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we got a great guest joining us here today. Yeah, that's right, uh, Tom uh, Benson. Tom Benson, marketing at the Tennessee Aquarium and IMAX Theater. Mm-hmm. Tom is a great guest, and I know all of you out there listening will enjoy what he has to say. So we'll find out what's going on at the tennessee aquarium it's a great place to go visit and i always say when you have family come to down and you're looking for something for them to do because after two or three days you're thinking okay i got to get them out of the house figure out a place to go with them mm-hmm. tennessee aquarium is a great place to go absolutely totally agree yep so we'll be talking to tom as we continue for jared pickens Cubmaster kyle i'm sean whitfield stay with us We'll be back with more. This is Scout on Chattanooga, the podcast. Teenagers, how adventurous are you? Is it a part of your DNA? Do you have a cool topic that you would like to learn more about? 
How about learning lifelong skills while bonding with your comrades to make friendships that last a lifetime? Adventure on with Scouts BSA. Go to BeAScout.org for more info on this exciting experience. For more than 100 years, the Order of the Arrow has recognized scouts and scout leaders who best exemplify the scout oath and law in their daily lives. Arrow men are known for maintaining camping traditions and spirit and for providing cheerful service to others. OA service, activities, adventures, and training for youth and adults are models of quality leadership, development, and programming that enrich and help to extend scouting to America's youth. For more info on the OA and scouting in our area, Area, visit CherokeeAreaBSA.com. Now back to Scout on Chattanooga. As we continue Scout on Chattanooga, I am Sean Whitfield along with Jared Pickens and Cubmaster Kyle. And gentlemen, today we've got another great guest joining us here in the studio. And that is none other than Tom Benson with IMAX Theater and Tennessee Aquarium. Hello, Tom. Hey. Glad to have you with us. It's good to be here. As we discussed just before we went on, though, I feel like I'm I'm probably one of the worst people to have on a scouting cast because I was never actually a Boy Scout. Uh, well, the, the small town that I grew up in, they had a scoutmaster for years and years and years. My three mm-hmm. older brothers went through it. I made it as far as Weeblos, and then uh, the scoutmaster just said, you know what? Somebody else needs to take up the mantle. And there was a little gap there for a few years where mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody who could step into that role. And so I'm so glad that we have an active scouting uh, community in the Chattanooga area. Um, and, you know, a lot of young men have the opportunity uh, to be in uh, Boy Scouts. But that was one part of my life that I missed. My my second oldest brother was an Eagle Scout. Oh, wow. Um, and so, um, you know, there was a, you know, a good scouting tradition um, in, in my family. It's just that there was sort of this weird gap thing that happened and I never went much past I didn't go past well, Weeblos. Well, well, Tom, you're in good company because I was never a Boy Scout either. Okay. And I was a Cub Scout for eight months and built a Pinewood Derby, and that was about the success of mine. <laughs> so you're in good company. We've Kyle's got, looking yeah. at us disgustingly. Yeah. Across the, <laughs> so I can see the vibes here, Kyle. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I mean, we got young rookies uh, in scouting, and then we got the professionals like Kyle that went on to do big and great things in scouting so we got uh you know all types of people well i feel like i still have like four years of eligibility so maybe we can, <laughs> yeah. maybe we can, maybe we can just start and you know so guys like you and i could go ahead and and get like sort of this um you know aged out but still in the spirit yeah that's a good idea kyle Boy Scout, we can know. we can get oh, sean wow. special permission <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh goodness tom i mm. want to start uh early on in your career When I first got to know who Tom Benson was here in Chattanooga, it was because you were a guy I saw on the morning newscast at Channel 3 Eyewitness News back in the day. You were a meteorologist. So if you would talk for just a moment about what brought you to Chattanooga and a little bit about that career and then where we are today. Yeah. So um, long story short, uh, when I went to um, school at Northern Illinois University to get my undergraduate in radio, television, film, uh, one of my classmates was Steve Lewis, who was a photographer at WRCB. Um, uh, Several years after graduation, he worked at a small TV station in Southern Illinois before he came here. And um, I had an opportunity to visit Chattanooga while Steve was living here And I want to say that was 
87 or 88. And I remember distinctly um, him driving me around the area and I had seen some of his videos that he had done, different stories he actually covered with David Carroll. Oh, yeah. uh, one in particular, I think he was out on the Southern Bell and I was really taken by the visuals because you know you had the mountains and the fall colors and it just looked like a really beautiful area. So my first visit here, again, 87 or 88, uh, I came down here and Steve, you know, took me around. We went across the Market Street Bridge and I remember telling him at the time, this is such a beautiful area. It's a shame the downtown looks like this. So mm-hmm. remember that's several years before they even started breaking ground for the aquarium. And mm-hmm. at that yeah. time, there were a lot of broken windows and boarded up doorways and things like that. I think people who are longtime residents remember that. Oh, but yeah. there's a whole generation now. The aquarium's been around for 32 years. And so coming up on 32 years. Um, and so there's a whole generation that doesn't have that knowledge of what Chattanooga was like prior to the aquarium actually opening. And so um, when I came back for my interview at Channel 3, the news director at the time took me to lunch at TGI Fridays. And, I, you know, this was only a couple of years later. And I kind of looked around. I was like, what happened here? You know, this uh-huh. place is fantastic. There Which are, is now where Puckett's is located. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So this was um, 94. We moved here in 95. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I just kind of, you know, fell in love with the community. And um, this is the place that I've lived the longest in my life, the small town that I grew up in. I spent, you know, 18 years there, um, you know, right up at, well, a little bit more than that, but I think it was 19 or 20, um, right up until I graduated from college and I moved, you know, away and, you know, never stayed in one place longer than I have here in Chattanooga. And that includes, you know, where I grew up. So you started at Channel 3 in what year? 95? That was in 1995. And I thought, you know, I've got a two-year contract to do weekend weather and report here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll see if they <laughs> like me after two years. You know, I, maybe I won't be here in two years. So we, you know, rented and uh, for the first year. And then, you know, Sandy and I kind of decided that, you know, we really liked this place. We found a small home on Signal Mountain at the time. We we bought that, and you know we've just been happy here ever since. So you continued your career on weekends. Then you advanced into doing mornings on their newscast. Exactly. Yeah. And you did that for how long? Um, I think that was close to ten of the twelve years that I was there. It was about two and a half years on on weekends. Um, and so then, you, you had a long career at Channel Three. Yeah, it was almost thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. And when I was when I had the opportunity, I started volunteering at the Tennessee Aquarium as a scuba diver, um, and um, I, you know, would I would leave the morning news on Wednesday mornings. I think it was the shift that I was on. I would tape the cut ends. And would leave right at nine o'clock and get over to the aquarium, take off my clothes, throw my scuba gear on and, you know, spend the rest of the day diving with the sharks and other critters. Because when you look at your career, you go, okay, meteorologist, it's on television. You change your career totally into something separate, being the Tennessee Aquarium. Uh, I mean, was that anything you ever imagined? Because most of the time when people get into television... They typically stay there or they take a public relations job somewhere. And I guess sort of that's what you did at the aquarium then, wasn't it? Yeah, and I did a lot of reporting, um, not just at Channel 3, but I had about uh, 20 plus years in broadcast television prior to that at different TV stations. And a lot of my stories were nature or science related. And so um, when the opportunity in the communications department came open, uh, it was a point in my career where I tell people it's sort of like the all-you-can-eat buffet, mm-hmm. and, uh, and all your favorite foods are on that buffet. 
at some point it's still enough. <laughs> and I really enjoyed, you know, my career in television, uh, particularly at Channel 3. It was a great company to work for. I believe it still is. Uh, there are some fantastic folks there. And when you see the kind of longevity that's been at Channel 3, you kind of, you can look at places that have people who have been around for a long time and say, you know, there's probably a reason that they're staying there because these are talented people. Same thing at the aquarium. There's a reason that there are people there for 30 years, some of mm-hmm. them, you know, close to 32 now. Um, and it speaks volumes about the organization. And so, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I got to the point where getting up at one thirty in the morning to be on the air at that time at 5 a.m. Now they're going on at 4.30. Mm-hmm. So I would have had to back that clock up even farther. Mm-hmm. Uh, most days when there were days like today, when it's sunny, hot and humid, you're still in there at 3 a.m., in my opinion, if you're doing the job well, because you want to make sure you're going over the model data and making sure that your forecast is accurate. You're signing your name to that every day. Um, and so I was sort of all in. Uh, and I worked with Paul, and Paul Barris was always all in, too. And so it was great because, you know, when you work with somebody who lives and breathes weather, and you do, too, uh, again, I think that that's reflected in the on-air product and, and the way people respond to it. Um, m- the reason I liked the morning shift was because I felt like I was helping people plan their day. Um, you know, if you if you went on in the evening, you know, people want to know what the weather was sort of like immediately. But uh, my favorite days were when I would get a phone call or um, an email and it would be from that contractor who was going to pour concrete or the, you know, the lawnscaping company, the landscaping company that was going to, um, you know, be cutting a lot of lawns. And if you were the guy who was saying, hey, it's going to, you know, I think it's going to rain today and you're kind of the outlier and maybe the others weren't. And you got that message and said, hey, you saved me a lot of money because I didn't pour concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you allowed me to get all my equipment into the shop and do the preventative maintenance because I couldn't be out there doing the work. And so mm. um, those were the things that, that I really appreciated because uh, I felt like, hey, I'm helping somebody um, plan their day. Do you still catch yourself doing a lot of weather research? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, you know, whether it's cutting my own lawn <laughs> or we have a lot of events at the aquarium. We had a big one on Saturday, our Fish and Sips event. We had 700 people that were coming to the uh, aquarium for uh, a craft beer event. And uh, some of the entertainment and some of the other um Stations were going to be out on the aquarium plaza. And so it's helpful if you have a game plan in place for mm-hmm. plan B, like what's the weather look like? And if you can go forward and just start setting up outdoors, knowing that you're going to have a dry event, it, it saves a lot of time, effort, and, and stress really on our staff. Yeah, you know, sure it's, it, it sounds familiar. It sounds like you're saying really we should be prepared. Yes, which is <laughs> yeah, <Tom>. absolutely. <laughs> and, and I don't want to get too far away from Tom your official title because I don't I don't want to downplay it because you've got a, a fairly prestigious role over there. You're the chief marketing and communications officer. Yeah. Is that right? It is. So yeah. so just let everybody know you're 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 an amazing uh, genteel person to just come in and start talking, but um, you have a really important job. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I do and I um I would say that I really um, feel blessed in a number of ways, one of which um, some people don't get one career that they truly enjoy. And um, and I've I've had two. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, and I also feel like I carry a large responsibility as sort of the chief communicator, Hmm. um, because, you know, when I was volunteering for the aquarium, I thought I knew 
about everything that was going on there. But there is really a lot that's happening outside the walls of the aquarium. The education programs that the aquarium delivers to communities across the tri-state area. The conservation work that we're doing across the southeast, the partnerships that you know we build with other conservation organizations to do long-term restorative projects that make the environment a better place um you know we are taxed sometimes by the staff that we have and the ability to get those stories out to the public and make sure that people are fully aware of Mm -hmm. the aquarium's entire impact in the region and it's a you know it's it's a really big thing and so again i think that um some people who are either new to the area or some people who have just grown up with the aquarium always being a part of their lives don't have that sort of uh, knowledge of what Chattanooga is like and how far the community has progressed. And one of the things that I think is most remarkable about the aquarium is one of the drivers for building the aquarium was, yes, it would help bring tourists to the area, but they were very concerned back in the 1980s about the brain drain. It was sort of ABC for a lot of young people, anywhere but Chattanooga. Hmm. Uh, you know, opportunity lied elsewhere. And so, you know, kids were graduating from college and they wanted to go to where the opportunities were. Now think about today and with the high speed internet and all of the companies that are relocating to Chattanooga because those young bright people are now coming here. And that's a big box that's been checked mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I think people hopefully can reflect upon and say wow we it, warts and all you know chattanooga like any city this size has challenges but i think overall we are in a much better position here than our friends that may live in the northeast or you know in parts mm-hmm. of the you know western united states where the cost of living is much higher the quality of life isn't as high as it is here and so uh, we, we benefit from a number of things. Again, we kind of chuckle about the traffic here, but boy. <laughs> yeah. So let me, so Tom, we, we have people from all over the nation and even the world mm-hmm. that listen to this. I know those of us who are here in the Tennessee Valley probably have some familiarity with the aquarium. For, but for anyone who might not, give us just a quick rundown of what is the aquarium? Where is it located? Uh, what, what's the mission? Yeah, the Tennessee Aquarium opened uh, May 1st, 1992 on the Chattanooga Riverfront. And because it was being built on the banks of the Tennessee River, I think it was very insightful for the original planners to make freshwater the focus of that original aquarium building. In 2005, the Ocean Journey building was open. So now we have a building dedicated to freshwater life and one to saltwater. But when you think about that theme of following a single drop of rain as it moves from the mountains to the sea and how it connects all life and the fact that we live in this underwater rainforest of biodiversity here in the southeast, more freshwater fishes, turtles, salamanders, uh, freshwater mussels and crayfishes live right here within, you know, 300 miles of downtown Chattanooga than any other place, not only in the United States and North America, but we're one of the biodiversity hotspots of the world. And so um, along with that biodiversity comes special challenges because um, we're also in a region that is experiencing great growth. And the Western United States has a lot of protected territories, but fewer species. So it's easier to Um, take care of endangered species in an area that has protected habitat around here. We have, you know, very special 
habitats in the Cherokee National Forest, which is protected. And, you know, your scouts get out there and, and experience these things, but maybe they don't put the snorkel mask on and see all of the fish that are below the surface of the water. So that's the opportunity at the Tennessee Aquarium is for folks to sort of take this virtual snorkeling trip around the world, but really focus on the backyard here and understand how important freshwater is. We have two big challenges that previously we kind of looked at as sort of out of the United States, but those are water quantity and water quality issues. And up until this last winter with all the snowfall in the West, you know, we saw all the stories about all the reservoirs in California dropping to, you know, critical levels. Mm -hmm. Those have come back up with the snowpack that was built up this last year. But uh, then you look at places like Flint, Michigan, that because of certain things that happened, all of a sudden they're in a crisis because of water quality issues. And so water is essential to all life. Um, we depend on the same things that all the aquatic animals do in the southeast. And so, uh, you know, we benefit from having a resource like the Tennessee Aquarium that visitors can come to have a good uh, experience with their families, experience all these animals from around the world. And then walk away thinking, you know, wow, I learned a lot while I was there. And those are some of our best days when those reviews come in on TripAdvisor or Yelp and people say, we had a lot of fun with our families. But you know what? We we learned a lot while we were there. So tell us something that's unique to the Tennessee Valley. I know, I know for um, for a while there you were working on several um, different fish projects where mm-hmm. you're where you're working to yeah. revitalize fish populations here in local streams. It's a little bit hidden, but the Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute is just downstream on Moccasin Bend. Uh, it's right there on the Baylor School campus. Uh, it's a science, a freshwater science and research facility, and we have uh, great scientists that work with a number of agencies. Because we are a nonprofit organization, we can work with state agencies across borders. Our rivers and streams don't know geopolitical boundaries, and so we can work equally with Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency as Georgia Department of Natural Resources, Mm -hmm. Alabama Department of Natural Resources, Kentucky, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. We can work on all these different scales and work with colleges and universities in the area to study, protect, and restore freshwater habitats and species so we have been working with a number of partners on a long-term saving the sturgeon program where we're reintroducing lake sturgeon to the tennessee and cumberland rivers we've been um, reproducing and repopulating some of the streams along the tennessee north carolina border with southern appalachian brook trout it's tennessee's only brook only native trout species they're beautiful fish um and um you know, that's one of those programs that you get kind of instant gratification because of a lake sturgeon's long life. They reach reproductive maturity much later in life. So if you're putting mm-hmm. fish in that are only a couple of months old, it takes them 20 years before they might start reproducing on their own in the Tennessee River. But the brook trout, they produce more frequently. And so we've already seen streams that are having those fish that we have put back in there making babies on their own and so that gives us an opportunity to go to other streams and we say this stream has now been repaired these fish are now reproducing on their own and we have opportunities to to spread that work to other places so it's really it's really fun to you know have those um opportunities again to work collaboratively with a lot of different other experts and and do something that is going to make a lasting positive impact on the environment for generations 
And I believe that I've even seen some of this on like National Geographic and stuff too, right? Right. And fortunately, there again because of you know some of the things that have happened, people are starting to come back to freshwater. You know, there was a lot of everybody wanted to be a marine biologist and you know study dolphins and whales, and um, but you know we're coming to understand um, at a greater level that a lot of the issues that are oceanic begin here Mm -hmm. and um, years ago Jacques Cousteau did a a special with John Denver and the mountains of Colorado is where they started that special and you know Jacques Cousteau said you know our rivers and streams are the roots of the ocean and he's exactly right and again that goes back to the aquarium's original storyline of taking people from the mountains of East Tennessee and following that water as it comes from the Smokies travels down the Tennessee River into the Ohio Mississippi and the Gulf of Mexico and so even though we're inland landlocked residents, we have that direct connection to the ocean through the water that flows through the downtown Chattanooga area. So if there's any scouts or scouters listening, A, number one, if you've never visited the Tennessee Aquarium, please go and do that and learn more about um, the amazing um, things that are going on there. But number two, as uh like an inhabitant of this area as a scout, as a scouter, what are some things that we can do to better our environment around here? Well, I think there are a number of scouting groups that get involved with Tennessee River Rescue every year, and they're out there picking up trash on the first Saturday in October. This will be the 35th anniversary of Tennessee River Rescue. And I think as scout leaders, um, you know, think about that water that you're packing in when you're camping or if you're um and again i'm unfamiliar with what kind of uh, camping levels you guys have but if you're taking those water filters out to streams and you're you know filtering the water you know maybe spending a few minutes just talking about water quality like what does it mean to have you know fresh water we Mm -hmm. were we're enjoying the woods out here um, but for us to survive in the woods what are we carrying with us we're carrying food and water But you can get along without food for a lot longer than you can without water. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's probably some organic messages that just as part of enjoying the water. um, One of my um, greatest high school memories was uh, we two summers. um, My mom signed me up for a church canoe trip in uh, Quetico Provincial Park in southern Canada. And um, back then, probably still today, you could actually drink out of the lake. And so, you know, to canoe across a, a pristine lake and dip your cup in there and, you know, drink right out of the lake mm. is, is pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that there are still places on the planet that um, remain that pristine and then thinking about, hey, what can we do? Um, the other part about generational differences is, you know, there's a whole generation that has grown up with an expectation that our rivers and streams are safe. And, you know, that didn't happen prior to 1973 when the Clean Water Act was signed. It's been 50 years since we've had the Clean Water Act. And before that, as, um, you know, maybe Sean remembers, uh, you know, the Cuyahoga River caught fire 13 times. And then somebody said, you know, what? I didn't remember that. <laughs> maybe maybe 12 times, you know, we should have done something. But they it was a wake up call, you know, here in the United States to think about water catching fire because it was so polluted. But back then. You know, the pipeline was just sort of discharging into streams and nobody thought about it much. Well, where did that go and what was that doing to our water supply? The little town that I grew up in, there was one uh, factory that was in town and uh, 4,600 people. It was in the middle of uh, the cornfields in northwest Illinois. 
and uh, my friends and I would play behind this place, and we called it the La Brea Tar Pit. They actually had a chemical place where they dumped their chemicals right there oh, wow. uh, in the a hole in the ground. And there was also a quarry north of town that was right by the Rock Creek, which we also did a lot of inner tubing and, um, and wading around and doing different things. Um, they dumped a lot of their chemicals in that, too. So uh, it was a year or two after I graduated from college. I go home and I notice over in the neighbor's yard across the street, there's a silver pipe. And I, I was like, what, you know, what's the deal with that? And I was like, well, that's a test well. So all that chemical that had been dumped in what we call the La Brea tar pit kind of leached into the ground, got into the water supply. And they actually had to shut down the, the main filtration plant for that little town that I grew up in. And here... Uh, 50s, you know, some odd years later, they are still dealing with that. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's the way things were. It's not that way today. And thankfully, it's not because we have a river now that, while it could be a lot cleaner, is much better than it was 50 years ago. And mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, we can have rowing regattas, we can have Ironman here. And we can, if you remember back to the Rio de Janeiro Olympics, there was a lot of concern for the swimmers in some of those open water events and the the water quality in Rio at that time was um, not good. And so we're, we're fortunate that we live in a place that has pretty good water. It could be better. Um, and there's opportunities, I think, for scouts and others to get involved to help with those river rescues and help with those cleanups and make sure that the kids today, the scouts of today, are doing things that will keep things uh, clean and healthy for us for the future and, and also sort of uh, instill those values in them so so we make sure that they pay it forward and, and carry the ball on. Jared, Kyle, I've got a Tennessee Aquarium trivia question for you both. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. All right, so here's some good trivia. At the Tennessee Aquarium, there is a butterfly exhibit. Have mm-hmm. you either one been to it before? Yes. Yes. Okay, and I learned this from Tom because he's on On The Move Radio with us on a regular basis. So I always learn one thing from him at least whenever he's on the show with us. Where do you think those butterflies come from? Mexico. Kyle, what do you think? I think that they help them reproduce right there in the uh, place. They come from Costa Rica. I was closer. Oh, wow. I was closer, Kyle. So, Tom, elaborate on that if you would, please. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually kind of a neat environmental story. Um, Costa Rica, I had an opportunity to uh, visit there last August, and there's a lot of um, agricultural changes that are happening. And so there's um, pineapples and bananas that are being grown on a large scale, and both of those are crops that are not native to Costa Rica. But the soil there, it's a very volcanic soil, so it's very rich. And, um, you know, obviously the climate is very favorable for growing those crops throughout the year. But as a result, they are um, removing a lot of the native vegetation so you Hmm. can create these big um, plantations. And recently, and I would say within the last decade or so, they have been working on preserving more of the habitat. And the butterfly farmers who had previously been clearing the land to plant row crops and support their families um, found out that if they preserved the native vegetation and raised butterflies as a cash crop, they could still support their families while preserving the native habitat. Oh, okay. And in many parts of the world where there are unique habitats and ecosystems with iconic animals, whether that's, you know, howler monkeys or sea turtles or butterflies in Costa Rica, or if that's manta rays somewhere in the Pacific Islands, they have found that um, the 
the residents there, if they protect those native populations and protect nature, then all of a sudden there's this ecotourism. There are a lot of people like myself and others that want to experience nature and, and get mm-hmm. out and see these things that will create another industry that is in harmony with nature, but you know helps keep the lights on and pay the bills and, and keep your family fed. So all of them are transported here to Chattanooga. And they live for how long, Tom? It depends on the species, but generally only a couple of weeks. Butterflies tend to have uh, fairly short lives. And that's yeah. one of the things that's kind of remarkable about monarch butterflies in particular, because they have four generations. There are three that come from Mexico and work their way northward. And the fourth generation, the super generation, is the one that can live like eight months. And they make that migration back through here in October. So if you see any monarch butterflies in the Chattanooga area in October, those are the ones that have started in Canada and are going back to that one special mm. place in the mountains of Mexico, and then they restart things. But it, it's sort of miraculous in a number of ways. One, you know, how are they hardwired with that roadmap in their, you know, in their brains? Mm-hmm. This is, um, you know, an animal that weighs less than two pennies and yet can make this miraculous journey from Canada all the way to, you know, central Mexico. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've been doing it for, you know, as long as we know. We got about two minutes left, Tom, but I wanted to get you to mention the IMAX Theater, if yeah. you would. Yeah, so we're, we're fortunate that we have the, you know, the giant six-story screen, the IMAX with laser projection system, and our bread and butter at the theater really is the 45-minute documentaries, the educational films that take you to places and you know with the visuals and the 3d glasses it uh, allows you to have glimpses of glimpses of the deepest portions of outer space in a hubble 3d or there's a new one coming out about the web telescope so again i think these are things that scouts would really enjoy because you guys spend time stargazing and learning about constellations while you're camping Um, but it also allows you to go to these deep places in the ocean and see coral reefs and we've got a uh, we've had a film antarctica before you know, allows you to go to the southern hemisphere. We are bringing in the Arctic uh, at the beginning of next year, which is also a BBC Earth production. So you'll go up there and see narwhals and polar bears and all kinds of things. And it, it just gives people an opportunity to take virtual places to location, remote locations around the world to see some pretty spectacular things mm-hmm. that they would not experience otherwise. I got to see a panda one a few years ago there. Yeah. That was incredible. Pandas Love was fantastic. Um, Born to be Wild was another one that um, highlighted orangutans, mm-hmm. um, and it was just and baby elephants. And in both of those were conservation stories that were really pretty interesting. But the, you know, to get it, getting to know the the scientists who are working with these different animals and and to go virtually to these places that are remote around the world is just pretty spectacular and i don't think a lot of people know but y'all actually do blockbuster movies there as well like i was able to see jurassic world old dominion there not too long ago and it was incredible on that big of a screen (laughs) yeah and so yeah we we have really um, been able to take advantage of that again with the um, digital laser projection we've got oppenheimer now um, we'll have the the Dune sequel coming up in November. And, Ooh, wow! And, um, there are people who are very sophisticated now on Reddit and other things, and they want to mm-hmm. see it in that biggest format, the best format. And yeah. so 
when we when we had Dune the first time, we had people from the eastern um, eastern North Carolina, as far away as that, coming to Chattanooga to see Dune oh, at our wow. theater. We had a group of ladies from Atlanta that rented a stretch limo and came up here. We joked about it being their Dune buggy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, they came up here to see the film, and so it's you know it's fun to have those opportunities. But again, it it may bring people in that have never visited Chattanooga before yeah. to sort of experience the city and see what we have. Well, here. I was going to say, Tom, before we go, because I know Sean's uh, foaming at the bit here to, to to get us off. But my first, you know, I'm not a native Chattanooga, mm-hmm. I'm from Nashville originally. I think the first and only time I ever came to Chattanooga for the first 18 years of my life was for the aquarium. Yeah. So you and, it and was I, a, it was an educational trip to the aquarium. So you and I are like, we weren't born here, but we got right. here as fast as we could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to follow in your footsteps and make sure not to leave. So yeah, there you go. Kudos to you and your, your amazing work. Yeah. Tom, where can folks get more information online? Yeah, so the easiest way is to go to uh, TennesseeAquarium.com or TNAQUA, T-N-A-Q-U-A.org. Uh, of course, we're on all the social channels. And we, we would encourage people to follow us on Facebook because, again, there's a lot of stories that we share, videos and, and images of a lot of the conservation work that we do that, again, we're able to transport people virtually to these remote mountain streams and show them kind of the work that we do and sort of the Johnny, Johnny Appleseed of planting fish in these streams and, and seeing the results of these streams um, becoming better after that work. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming in and yeah, joining us and educate, educating all of our uh, scouts out there listening today yeah. to know more about what the aquarium has to offer. Think about starting that senior chapter, and uh, we'll, we'll be the first ones to, <laughs> to sign up. All right. Sounds Maybe good. we could be the Golden Eagle Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> might, by that point, it might have to be silver. but just uh... <laughs> Or the gold beaver. You've already got the silver beaver. we got Maybe the silver the beaver. beaver. That's an award, though. You yeah. have to earn yeah. that. Yeah. Oh. All right, it's time for us to take a quick break. We've got a lot more Scout on Chattanooga to come as we continue. For Cutmaster Kyle, Jared Pickens, I'm Sean Whitfield. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. This is Scout on Chattanooga, the podcast. Hey, folks, this is Michael Walton again here with your Outdoor Minute. I know we all know the outdoor code. As an American, I will do my best to be clean in my outdoor manners, be careful with fire, be considerate in the outdoors, and be conservation-minded. But did you know that even though we pay some of the lowest electric rates in the whole country, we also have some of the highest average bills in the whole country? Green Spaces can help with your energy merit badge and provide a free workshop to teach low-cost and no-cost ways for folks to lower those high electric bills. If you're in Hamilton County, give EPB a call to have them come do a free walkthrough of your scout's home or even of your charter organization to learn about how you can do your part for conservation and have more money at the end of every month for camping gear. If you have any tips for practicing the outdoor code, send an email or voice file to info at greenspaceschattanooga.org and you might be on our next Outdoor Minute. Does your K-5 grader like to hike, camp, and fish? How about making crafts and playing games? Well, it's time for them to make some friendships that can last a lifetime. Come join us for a wild ride (laughs) and adventure on with Cub Scouts. Go to BeASCout.org for more info on this exciting experience. Hey, this is Remy. I'm a Cub Scout, and I approve of this message. And now, Scout on Chattanooga's Campfire Conversation. A sit-down with a real-life scout with an incredible story. Hi, everybody, and welcome into the Campfire Conversation. 
with Cubmaster Kyle and Jared Pickens. And we have a very special edition of the Campfire Combo this week talking about National Jamboree. It just wrapped up. And on with us today, we have Jocelyn, also Andrew, and Tim. Tim was one of the uh, scout leaders that went on the contingent for our unit. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Hey, listen, so 15,000 scouts from all over the country at one place at one time. Give me your top three words that describe that. Uh, Surreal, exciting, and probably... I can't think of a third word. They're all, it was all, it was really just exciting. Like that's the best way to put it. It was just, it was really, it was really surreal. Um, everybody there. Jocelyn, can you tell me what your favorite thing about National Jamboree was this year? My favorite thing about it was definitely probably like meeting all of the different people from all over. There were a bunch of troops from, uh, states that I hadn't been. So it was really interesting to hear about like their experiences, like their, uh, lodges and stuff like I'm in the OA so it was really interesting to hear how other people's uh, like lodges do things and stuff like that. So tell us about Andrew some of the the favorite things that you got to experience maybe it's some things you were looking forward to you knew you were looking forward to the whole time maybe it's some surprises that you just were, were really valuable to you that after uh, you got home looking back to the event where uh, that stuck out to you. Oh yeah I was absolutely um, stoked to uh, go to the range I got to shoot crossbow and pistol, which was a lot of fun. Um, the lines were kind of long because of how many people were there, uh, but it was so much fun and definitely worthwhile because I've, I've never shot a crossbow or a pistol before. And both of those experiences were really cool. Um, I'm not a huge gun person, but I am a huge bow person. And both of those were like so exciting to just experience while I was there with friends and everything. Gotcha. So Jocelyn, what was your favorite um, activity at National Jamboree? My favorite activity was probably uh, the the paintball. Paintball was really cool. Uh, what were some of the other highlights? Like if you were to think uh, to some of your best friends from the trip, what, what were some of their highlights? Uh, rock climbing was a lot of fun. Um, they had rappelling and rock climbing and their walls, they, they had easy to hard and they were just so fun to go up. Uh, try to get up at least. I failed maybe once or twice, you know. Um, patch trading again, like people who, who went there for the first time were like, Oh, patch trading. That doesn't sound like I'll be interested in that. But, uh, one of my friends got into it and every chance he could, he was asking, can we go patch trade? Can we go patch trade? Hey, I'm going to set up here. I want to patch trade. Um, and it's patch trade is definitely one of the things that everybody, um, starts off being like, that can't be right. That can't be real. And then they, they start to love it and they learn to love it. And that's definitely, that's another gateway opportunity to like meet new people around. So what was it like meeting all these new people while you were at Jambo? Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, so just meeting people from from all over the country. And I also actually got to see some friends from my from my old council, uh, which was really nice. And meeting all these people, learning about all their different experiences, um, people from Minnesota uh, who are right there in Northern Tier, um, some of their experience, getting to know them, getting to know other people from around the country who, who flew multiple hours to just, just to be there people from California, um, all the way on the other side. It's really cool. Everybody has a unique story. Um, I tried to learn and listen, um, from as many people as I could just to hear how they got there, what their favorite experiences were while we were there too. So tell me about home base life. Like what was that like having to get there and set up with 
what was it, 15,000 other scouts there. Um, how was camp life like? Um, it, it was definitely really interesting. We, uh, my, the girls group, our girls group, we had to, uh, we camped away from the boys. So we got grouped with a bunch of other girls from different contingents to be kind of like a, a, a makeshift kind of contingent to camp together and do stuff like that. So when we got there, we had to like uh, meet the new girls that we didn't know and kind of get a feel for how they set up with camps because a lot of my group um, from our contingent, I had known because they're in my troop um, or have been in uh groups that I've been in at like camperies in the past. So we had set up with like set up camps with each other before. So we all knew how we kind of like functioned with that. But we had to learn how these other groups of girls uh set up for their camps because um you know we didn't get to meet them beforehand. So that was ve really very interesting to have to kind of balance. Um camp was it was definitely a lot of people, but I think they handled it very well with how they had everybody separated and set up and all that kind of stuff. Um, they had like uh, in each, they had like, I don't know what's called them, like little kind of squares of like four or five contingents that would camp together. And then they'd have like the contingents were like set up in rows. Mm -hmm. So um in uh, our little square, it was, I think it was all girls. And then there were like guys trips around. Um, but I liked the way that they did that because it, it was very neat looking. And it it it, it all, uh, they made sure to keep the tents consistent. So it all looked very like nice and put together. So camping with that amount of people, what's that like having to set up your, your home base and everything? I mean, it was stressful at first. There was a lot to set up. There was cooking equipment. There were um, canopies that we had to set up and managing everybody getting around, but everybody worked really hard and it, it looked stressful at first and it kind of felt stressful at first, but everybody really chipped in and seeing everybody else set up as well. We were right next to multiple troops and after setting up, we got to talk to some of them, met some of the people next to us and uh, that was really cool. So setting up wasn't a huge issue. It, we thought it would be, um, but it went by really fast and everybody worked really hard setting up. So Jocelyn, what was probably one of the biggest challenges that you had to face while going to the National Jamboree? If I'm being honest, it was um, trying to pick what thing to do for what day. There were so many things that I wanted to do and that the other girls wanted to do that we had to, we had to like sit down in the mornings and plan out exactly what we were going to go to at what time, because it was, it was very difficult to try to like get everything we wanted to do in one day. And even though it was two weeks, pretty much it, uh, there was a lot that was like people wanted to do. So it was hard to kind of do to choose. Was there anything that you didn't get to do that you really wanted to? They had an area set up for like conservation and like outdoor kind of stuff that I think they had like a park, like National Park Service booth at. Um, I really wanted to go do that, but um, we had planned to do it on the last day. And what I didn't realize was the they closed down all the activities at like three o'clock to give people time to uh, kind of pack up. So uh, we didn't get to over to that side of camp in time for us to be able to do that. So what was it like? Because 
when you go to Jamboree, a lot of people that may be listening in may, may be wondering, okay, well, how does this work? You have kids. They're not from the same troop. You know, it's 40 kids. Uh, and uh, how does that work as they create their own troop? And what are the leadership positions that young people have? Because I know, Andrew, you held a leadership position, right, of some type. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so I, I had the um, great duty and responsibility, and I was so thrilled to be the SPL um, for the troop. So, um, so senior, meeting, senior patrol leader, right? Senior, yes, yep, senior patrol leader. Um, so there's senior patrol leaders, and then we had the patrol leaders. Um, and I only knew a few people starting out. So that first meeting was, was kind of scary and, and nervous getting to know everybody and getting to see everybody. Um, but as we went along, each each preparation meeting that we had um, allowed me to meet these kids more and more. Um, and they were all really nice. Everybody, everybody was so kind to each other. Everybody really helped out uh, where it was needed. And it started like, obviously, you go through those four stages of team development. Um, but I think our storming phases happened. It, it didn't take long to get through those. Um, and pretty soon we were we were performing pretty well. Um, so obviously there were those struggles there, but it started off, it started off everybody, everybody didn't know each other. And by the end, we were practically a family. If there was one big takeaway that you got from your two weeks of living at National Jamboree at Summit Betchel, what would that be? Like, what did you, what kind of feelings did you bring home with you that will carry on with you the rest of your life? Really just like how, how much of a, community like the for me at least the girls that are in scouting are um they had a women in scouting booth which me and my friends visited a lot because it was just a really cool experience for them to do um and like I said us being paired with different girls from different contingents it really showed me that like it doesn't matter where you're from in scouting or it doesn't matter uh what troop you're in or if you know each other, um, we all stick together and we all look out for each other. And it was very easy to bond with other girls and other people in general, even if I didn't know them before, because we all had like some of the same shared experiences and we all knew like what, uh, what was challenging for us and how to get past that and how to learn and uh, really just build those friendships and that kind of thing. I actually have one follow-up question for you. What do you think about the um, the new female Eagle Scout memorial that was um, placed at Summit Betchel? Um, I, that, that was a really cool project, I think, because they had, had so many, they have so many statues around, um, like dedicated to uh, important people and all that kind of stuff. Like you would see them anywhere you went. Um, and I really appreciate them like taking the time and wanting to do some representation for female Eagle Scouts and just females in scouting in general. And I think that the statue itself was really, really cool. But the meaning behind it, I really appreciate it. So tell me about something that surprised you. What surprised me was how how willing other scouts were to talk to you. Um, I think there's obviously that natural, I, we all have that natural connection of being scouts and just everywhere you went, people were randomly giving high fives. People were asking um, you to sign shirts, stuff like that, trade shirts, trade patches. Um, and the community was, was really easy to, to see and to feel. 
um, as people were obviously so willing to talk to everybody else. Um, You rarely had issues with scouts who had just met each other, like fighting and stuff. Everybody was really, everybody was really receptive to everybody else. And there weren't a lot of issues that I heard with, with scouts on scouts fighting or being angry at each other. And so that really, that really surprised me was, was wow, everybody here wants to meet everybody else. Uh, Andrew, my final question for you, if there was one big takeaway from National Jamboree that you think that you'll carry with you the rest of your life, what would that one big takeaway be? That one big takeaway would probably be to try new things. And I know like a lot of people, you hear that a lot from a lot of different people. Um, but getting to go to the summit, there were so many different activities. There were so many different opportunities um, to go and try things. There was a Medal of Honor patch um, that I got to check out, and that was really cool to see. Um, plenty of military um, tents and experiences there um, where I was like, wow, I would have never thought this could be an opportunity here um, or for a career opportunity in the military this way. But this like really opened my eyes. So trying those new things, going to all those different tents, going to all the different um, places, learning about the different opportunities that I could experience or just going there and trying those opportunities um, like their big rock wall, um, like shooting a pistol, stuff like that. Um, That's my takeaway is to like never really be scared to try something new um, because a few times I was like, I really don't want to do this. We already spent a whole day up here, but I went back and I ended up really enjoying it again, um, just experiencing more of the stuff that they had around that area. So, yeah, definitely, definitely never be scared to try something new because uh, you might like it, right? All right, Tim, on to you. Uh, what you think about National Jamboree from an adult leader standpoint? Uh, it was an amazing thing that took 18 months to plan just on the contingent side here in Cherokee Area Council. But it turned out to be a magnificent experience for all the adults involved. We were beyond thrilled that we saw scouts out doing stuff, making friends. A lot of it Jocelyn and Drew have talked about where they spent the time meeting new people, doing new things, challenging themselves. It really is kind of like a world's fair kind of atmosphere where you're doing all this new stuff, checking out all this new stuff, eating new food, uh, interacting with new people and new traditions. It was, as I promised, in the beginning when we talked about this last time, an epic experience for all involved. So what do you think was the most epic experience thing for the adult leaders there at camp? Well, uh, in the beginning, most of the adult leaders spent a lot of time in our actual campsites uh, first couple of days uh, because we needed to be there for the uses they came and went. So probably hearing the stories, uh, like what Jocelyn talked about or uh, what Terry talked about, um, another scout, Terry, powers in, in our unit he talked in the boys side he talked about how much he enjoyed river rafting we, we really like to hear those stories actually I gave out a prize every day for the person who had told the most enthusiastic story about what they did because we were getting a lot of jamboree from them in the beginning and that really was the highlight for us is that we you know we couldn't necessarily go out and see and enjoy all those things because this was about them but hearing that coming back was really really a highlight for us as adult leaders. So the, uh, the planning process takes about 18 months to plan. What would you say was the toughest portion of that planning process? Probably disseminating all the information. Jamboree is such a huge thing from river rafting to uh, big zip, understanding what to pack, uh, uniforms, money, money involved, transportation. It is a myriad of, um, of things that need to be plugged in to make it work. Um, we're certainly already looking 
forward to plugging all our positives in for the next jamboree and learning our lessons that didn't go quite as well as we planned for the next one. But having that process um, and and focusing and getting people to pay attention when they need to. And I, I'm now famous for sending 2 a.m. emails uh, to the parents that are multiple pages long about all the things they need to know. And I'm sure they're glad to at least have a break for a while for me on that. <laughs> all right. Last question for you, Tim. Uh, biggest takeaway uh, as an adult leader from National Jamboree? Uh, it's a scouting experience that should not be missed. Um, there's nothing else quite like it, whether it be National Jamboree or World Jamboree. Um, it really opens you up to, as Jocelyn and Drew have both stated, a wider world of scouting, the opportunity of meeting other people. I got a chance to meet with my uh, longtime scouting friends from all over the United States, which is great, but I made new ones too. And the youth did the same thing. Uh, that is the biggest takeaway is that scouting actually can make the world a better place. Um, because we all care, we all stick together, as Jocelyn is very clear in her point. Um, scouting makes the world better, and our big takeaway there is that. Um, if we all contribute to a positive, good thing, uh, we can make the world a better place, um, despite what anyone else might want. So um, big, biggest takeaway is do jamboree, whether it be national or, or international jamboree, if, if a world jamboree, rather, if at all possible, because it, it is something not to be missed. Well, thank you all uh, so much for joining us today. And... Uh, for coming on the Campfire Conversation, everybody's going to be getting our special limited edition Scout on Chattanooga Council shoulder patch as well. Sound good? All right. Thank you for having me. I'm in. Jocelyn, are you in? Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us today, Andrew, Jocelyn, and Tim. We really appreciate it, and we can't wait to hear uh, more adventures coming out of you three. For more scouting spotlights or to get your son or daughter involved in scouting, go to CherokeeAreaBSA.com. Now back with the final word, here's Sean Whitfield, Jared Pickens, and Cupmaster Kyle. As we continue Scout on Chattanooga, I am Sean Whitfield along with Jared Pickens and Cupmaster Kyle. It was a great conversation with Tom Benson with the Tennessee Aquarium. He's a guy that we could have done an entire one-hour podcast with without any trouble whatsoever because he's always got a fascinating story to share, and there's so many things about the aquarium mm-hmm. and the IMAX theater that we didn't even scratch the surface of today. I, I feel like you could just say, hey, Tom, how are you doing? And he could go on for oh, an hour, can, no problem. He can rock and roll. <laughs> and his comment about what life was like in Chattanooga before the aquarium, um, I remember it well, and it's not because I'm the old guy in the room, but uh, I guess I am the old guy in the room. I, I was a kid back during that time when Chattanooga, especially the downtown Chattanooga area, was not a place that you wanted to go spend much time in. You you certainly didn't want to go down and walk the sidewalks of Broad Street and Market Street like you can today. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh rundown buildings, buildings that were shut down, buildings that were boarded up. Uh, it, it was not a, it, I mean, and this was during my entire childhood because I think he said the aquarium started or opened in 86. Well, I graduated high school in 86. I grew up in Flintstone as a, a kid and then moved to Chickamauga in the fifth grade. My parents were from St. Elmo. We had family in North Chattanooga. So we would pass through the downtown area often. And I remember as a kid looking out the window thinking, boy, I hope we're not going to stop because it looks scary in downtown Chattanooga. Yeah. And then the the Tennessee Aquarium was built, and it was like everything. It was one of these, I guess, statements: you build it, and they will come. 
then the city just sort of had a, a transformation mm-hmm. and suddenly we've created a, a city where people want to come visit not you know turn away and really it, it was it was a vital part in making chattanooga what it is today no question about it and it was a lot of criticism back at that time uh and when i say criticism it was uh it was known in a joking way by many as jack lupton's fish tank because the lupton family jack lupton in particular Mm -hmm. was very influential in the tennessee aquarium being here because he had a lot to do with the financial part of it yeah and I i believe uh um, Senator Lamar Alexander, I believe as well, from what I read, um, was had visited, uh, I think it was Baltimore or something like that, and had seen uh, what an aquarium could do. And the novel idea was you're putting an aquarium on a river, a freshwater river, mm-hmm. and um, the town had just undergone some pretty dramatic ecological and climate uh, reclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, this was once one of the most polluted. I think it's 1976. It was um, they called it the most polluted city in America. Yeah, I it was believe. in the late 60s, around 69. I stand corrected. Um, yeah. But uh, so it's kind of like this very interesting capstone of, hey, we've cleaned everything up and now we're bringing people in and we're doing this really uh, novel thing. And I, I can't. I agree completely with you, Sean. Um, I can't imagine really anyone ever coming to chattanooga for any reason and me and my family are not saying hey have you been to the aquarium is that something you want to do and it's not mm-hmm. always something everyone wants to do um but it's always on the list of things that that they have to be in that discussion yeah i remember those times very well and uh certainly it has uh had so much to do with the great city that we live in today all right gentlemen it is almost time for a close but before we do uh any hot topics we should share before we wrap up uh, Kyle, anything uh, for this fall? Oh, there's a lot of stuff going on this fall. You got Wood Badge coming up in September. If you want more info on that, you can get it on our website. We also have Cub and Family Camping going on the last two weekends of October up at Skymont Scout Reservation. It's moon pie season. Moon pie. <laughs> so, uh, scouts and scouters out there, um, ask so us about moon pies. Buy, you can buy moon pies right now. Um, we are preparing to start selling them so we've had our leaders meeting uh, we've gone over the guide and the ordering process has begun the first week of september is when all of the sales will start so okay cool so just get ready yeah and, and, and then it's program kickoff time too for the year so very exciting lots of stuff going on in and around scouting and we can't be more excited and don't forget he just really skimmed this over but don't forget if you come to wood badge you get to go through Wood Badge with the one, the only, Cubmaster Kyle. Because he'll yeah. be there. He's going and my, through it. my animal will be better than yours, even though I don't know what mine is yet. Well, if it's not, <laughs> if it's not mine, then it's clearly not, uh, it's clearly not better. So. <laughs> CEO Jared Pickens, any to- topics you would like to share real quick? Well, you know, uh, it's always great to see the summer come, right? Because we've got camp and we've got activities. But it's always great to see the summer go because it means it's uh, back to scouting where it truly belongs, which is hyper local. And uh, the fall is an amazing time, as Kyle mentioned, because we're able to, you know, I mean, just just think about the thousands and thousands of young people who are going to be starting school back 
and uh, they're going to be looking to get into the outdoors. And, and fall is, an, is one of the, the best seasons in southeast Tennessee and northwest Georgia. So, uh, you know, this is just a really exciting time for our program, and we're just really looking forward to it. And um, the one thing I would say, I guess, in closing is uh, do what Kyle says. Buy moon pies, eat a lot of moon pies. Do what Sean says. Make sure you work out a lot so you can buy more moon pies. <laughs> and, and last but certainly not least. And it, stay healthy. And stay healthy, right. Um, and because, you know, you got to be ready to go on that hike, right? The oh, next yeah. outdoor adventure. That's not easy. Yeah. I mean, you got to be on, on physical uh, shape for that. But the last thing is if you have children in your family, if you are a grandparent, if you are uh, an aunt or an uncle, you know, just it never hurts to ask children or families with children that you know hey have you considered scouting and and do you think that'd be fun uh, a fun adventure for your family and if they uh, believe it will let us know you can find us cherokee area bsa.com bscout.org you could just google how do i join cub scouts and uh, we'll get you involved with the adventure of a lifetime all right that sounds great hey i got a quit I, i forgot to give this out we have a brand new feature of our podcast so before you wrap up, I got to mention it. Go ahead. We have a um, phone number that you can call and leave us a voicemail on now. The Scout on Chattanooga Hotline. We do. Yeah, it's um, 423-826-1531. We so don't I'll, have a toll-free number. Say it again. Say it I'll again. say it again. 423-826-1531. Sean, who uses it? I mean, you know, your cell phone is all toll-free. Yeah. I guess yeah. you're right. I mean, come on. <laughs> I guess Nobody you're right. uses it. This is like... You know. So if you have a question or comment about the show, leave us a voicemail a there. Co- a compliment, maybe? Yeah. Like, a, like if you Any want to be like, man, that cut Mr. Kyle. He's so cute. <laughs> I just love how he talks and everything he says. Or, or maybe a no, question like, like how he laughs. Where does Jared get his field uniforms pressed because the creases <laughs> and the patches are fantastic? And if you want to know where he gets his haircut. <laughs> Well, we already know that. Or if people, or if people, if you've ever wondered, you know, does Sean, does Sean actually own any shorts? Where, what color would they be? I wear shorts all the time. You can call that in. You can do it, and it might get aired on the podcast. Is that the plan? That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So if you call and leave a voicemail there, then you'll either a get a call back from one of us, uh, or b be answered. Uh, on the podcast we'll play your voicemail back on the podcast and answer it i'm looking forward to that i want people to call in yeah i want them to ask questions i hope so like mm. you know what is Cubmaster kyle's favorite dutch oven recipe mm, and why is it cake. not as good as mine and if you try to call <laughs> and the lines are busy just call back because <laughs> yes, with high back. demand the lines could be busy when you call and oh man but they gotta say who they are right like, you can be like anonymous yeah, call. yeah if you call yeah. that number it gives you instructions on how to you know do your voice that's awesome like leave us your name what unit or what part of scouting you're a part of and maybe a callback number and then you know i i I can see in my mind's eye several people in scouting here that i know who are literally picking up their phone right now to call this number so what is it one more time kyle uh it is 423-826-1531 the Scout on Chattanooga Hotline. That's it. Phone on Chattanooga. All right. With all that, we're going to come to a close, and that's going to do it for this edition of Scout on Chattanooga. Go to the Scout on Chattanooga Facebook page for any suggestions or comments about today's podcast. Click on the subscribe button at your favorite podcast platform. 
for all future podcasts. For Jared Pickens, Cup Master Kyle, I'm Sean Whitfield, and thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Scout on Chattanooga, presented by the Cherokee Area Council BSA. To learn more about scouting in the Tennessee Valley, join a unit, or donate and become a friend of scouting, visit CherokeeAreaBSA.org. And be sure to join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And use the hashtag TNGA Scouts to stay up to date with the youth leaders in our area. 